Welcome back, guys. Ryan Dement, True Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day. We're back on the vlog, so you guys get to see my ugly face along with my horrible voice. But guess what? I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to give you some information this week that's a little bit off the beaten path. But it's critical to uh, what we do in society. So without further ado, this morning... Early, when I was awake, I read an article that I saw, and I had to take a double take, but from what I'm reading, it is something that's actually been passed, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it, so... Um, Governor Kate Brown in Oregon uh, signed a law to allow Oregon students to graduate without proving they can write or do math. That's the headline. So I'm like, no, that can't be. There is no way that they would they would put a law into place that you can't that you don't have to be able to read or write to graduate. So I read it a little bit further. And of course, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, the first thing that I got out of this article is it looked like they were making some headway on their graduation rate. Uh, and all of a sudden, it kind of dipped because of COVID. And they decided that they were going to take all requirements off the table and not have to require the students to be able to read and write, sorry, read and do math at a high school level proficiency to graduate. So it looks like there was another law in place in that was put in place in 2009 that basically told and stated that all graduating students of high school had to be proficient in math and reading. Well, that got changed pretty quickly, and this is not a political piece. It's uh, a piece about, holy crap, these are our future leaders, and they're not going to be able to comprehend and do math. How are they supposed to be able to survive in life? How are they supposed to get a job? How are they, how are they supposed to teach their kids how to comprehend and do math? This is crazy. So then the article goes on to say um, they're going to re-review this in 2022. But until then, uh, classes uh, – where is it at here? But classes – the graduating classes starting this year will actually be under this realm – to where they will not have to pass a basic math and comprehension test to graduate. So that means that the next five classes that are going to graduate will be graduating without the needing to demonstrate proficiency in math and writing. I don't know about you guys, but that's just perpetuating a cycle that we don't need to be in especially for our future leaders and our future uh, Americans. 
So then I was curious, how many students graduate in the state of Oregon every year? So I went to their Department of Education website, and this is just numbers I pulled from their site, and I've got the link for proof. I don't know what their graduation rate is because I didn't do that homework on this on this uh, article. The 2019-2020 academic year, 34,580 students graduated. And then for 2020 to 2021 academic year, it's 35,170. So 35,170 students starting 2021 have already graduated and didn't have to be proficient in math and writing. Wow. Mind-blowing. So... that's over 150,000, closer to 160,000 students that'll graduate in these five years that they're going to plan to do this. 150,000 people. Again, I don't know what percentage is, is, is not going to make it to this level. I have no idea. I just saw the article and it blew my mind that they would actually take the reading, uh, the right, sorry, the writing and math comprehensions out to graduate. But then in this other piece, it says at the bottom of it, much of the criticism of the graduation requirements was targeted at standardized standardization tests. Yet Oregon, unlike many other states, did not require students to pass a particular standardized test or any test at all. Students could demonstrate their ability to use English and do math via about five different tests or by completing an in-depth classroom project judged by their own teachers. Okay, at least there was some type of standard. You don't have to have a standardized test, I mean, but there was some type of standard that you could at least figure out, can they actually read and write and actually do math? So now we're creating a generation of individuals that can't read or write Um, and then we expect them to be productive human beings. I don't know where to go with that one. Not sure. But on that note, let's get to true talk, and let's talk about some true topics. So the first one that comes up that I did some homework on is the housing market. The title is The Crazy is Leaving the Housing Market. And what this article is basically saying is uh, the amount of demand that we currently have is subsiding and home builders are starting to see that. And they're saying we're going to pull back on our inventory uh, to continue to keep housing prices propped up. I get it. But at the same time, again, we're pricing people out of the market. Um, First time home buyers. I mean, how are they going to be able to afford $363,000 as a first-time homebuyer? And millennials are coming to of age of 25 to 40 years old this year, and they are the largest segment of the population that would be buying homes. But they are strapped with student loan debt that doesn't allow them to qualify to buy a home at that price. And many are still living at home or renting, in paying astronomical amounts of rent, like the house across the street, they're not millennials, but they're paying 25% over market rate 
just because the market has gone that direction. And to say that we've priced the largest generation minus, you know, behind the baby boomers, which they're larger than the baby boomers, I should say, out of the housing market, how do we continue to grow a housing market when that demand for those individuals is going to subside because they can't afford the house? You just, you can't, you just can't continue at this pace. You know, this article on Yahoo Finance also says that seasonality appears to be coming back into the market. Historically, housing begins to slow down in the late summer as the start of school nears, and then the returns in full force again in spring. You know, it could be a bunch of things, but it ends up being supply and demand back to what I've exactly said from day one. And if there's not enough demand, the supply will continue to grow until you find a equilibrium for the price. And currently the prices are too high. And how are people going to afford it? Out here in Phoenix, they're still doing blind bids and they're telling people they have to offer above asking price to get a house. Uh, that's his greed. That's his flat out greed. Believe me, they have margin in these houses where it's substantial, 40 or 50% margin, maybe a little bit less because of lumber costs. Stay tuned for that. That's another update. But at the end of the day, it boils down to the almighty dollar. And if you don't have the almighty dollar, you can't afford a house. It's, I see this in the markets that we're in for TrueVest. But the other thing that I see too is there are certain areas of cities that have been left behind in development that need the help. But a lot of developers, home builders, whatever you want to say, don't go into those areas because they can't get those margins they're looking for. That could be changing for us in certain marketplaces and stay tuned for that. I'm not trying to be a pitch on that button, but there's a need in that market and it needs to happen. All right. Next up. Inflation. Here we go again, guys. July consumer price index jumps five to 5.4, but core inflation rises less than expected. So on this piece from CNBC, prices um, that Americans pay every day did increase. But of course, CPI does exclude energy and food. Positive thing out of this, used car prices um, only gained 0.2%. And in the prior months, they had gained almost 10%. So there's a nice little cool down on that. But still, you and I and everybody else are paying more at the gas pump we're paying more for food. We're, we're paying more for any type of energy base. And then, oh, by the way, I, I saw an article, and this is just a, digre a digression. We're asking OPEC to start pumping and creating more oil because our reserves are down. Well, we were self-sufficient until some changes happened. But that's here nor there. 
But now we're back to depending on OPEC. And guess where that money, where that oil comes from? Overseas, which means that it has to come in tankers. And then it's tanked over, or it's shipped over to us. And then it comes onto our shores. Well, if you actually were self-sufficient, could we actually do a better job of keeping our oil production in-house, lower prices to where we're not feeling that sting at the pump? I'd like to hear your opinion on that one because I'd leave that one open for interpretation. Uh, let's uh, see. Unemployment. This, this also came from CNBC. 3.4 million Americans are still on long-term unemployment. About 3.4 million workers are, were on long-term employment in July, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's down by about 560,000 from June, but still represents two in five jobless individuals. Long-term unemployment is a period of joblessness lasting at least six months and poses elevated financial risk for households. So the July job growth came out at $946,000, whoops, more coffee, 943,000 new jobs were created. But we still, but we still have a shortage of individuals that are looking to get back into the workplace and get a job. So you have employers begging for for new people to come into the market because they're so shorthand they're shorthanded, but they can't hire enough people to keep up with demand, and the two sides are basically, you know, you have the additional stimulus coming from the federal government, which is ending next month. And then you have people also saying that people are not being paid enough. So minimum wage needs to be 15 or $20 to make it livable. In some cities, I'd say that is, that's correct. On some major cities, that is very true. But then in some cities, you don't need to have a 20 or $30 minimum wage. I mean, at some point, balancing it, balancing everything out to what is needed by the worker and then the the business has to happen because ultimately at 20 or $30 an hour, you're not going to have very many businesses around because they can't afford to pay employees that dollar amount per hour. It just becomes unfeasible. They have, they'll have zero margin and they'll lose money. So when do we balance those things out and, and be able to find a happy medium to make this work for both sides? And I think that's the piece that's really missing is that conversation piece of figuring out how can that work for, for both sides and be able to come up with a solution. Because ultimately, back to you know students graduating with zero math or, or not proficient in math or comprehension – I don't know how those individuals are going to do in the workplace if they can't just do those base, basic things when they're doing a job. It doesn't matter what type of job it is. You have to be able to read and write and understand math in a job. It's just life. So that's 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 going to be a pretty tough one to sell, but we'll see where that goes. I mean, that's uh, that's a problem. Another piece from CNBC, but it's on the same piece I was just talking about. 
America's small businesses still can't find workers, but that's not the biggest problem. Um, they're saying over 40% of small businesses across America are experiencing a rising cost of worker wages. Um, almost one third, excuse me, one third, 31% say they have open roles they have not been able to fill for at least three months, up from 24% last quarter and 16% in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, the labor situation has resulted in 41% of small businesses, business owners saying they are currently experiencing a rising cost in wages. According to a new CNBC momentum survey. Um, and then the other piece that I, I saw was, um, that they, in, in this article, Small business owners are willing to to work with employees, but the demand, excuse me, the demands from the employees are are on the extreme side to where the small business owner can't actually handle them. People are wanting, you know, free tuition to school. Um, They're wanting sign-on bonuses. Um, They're wanting free health care. I think... On those topics, you could find a middle ground, but at the same time, it can't be all one-sided to where the employer takes on all the risk and the employee takes on none. I think we've got to, uh, uh, we're not got, we're there on a tipping point when it comes to uh, communication and um, livelihood requirements. There's demands, there's needs, and there's wants. Um, they're all different, but what you need to keep your four walls secure is different than what you want. And the demand is is just that. What does the market demand and what can you actually supply it with? And if it's 20 or $30 an hour to get people off of unemployment... I don't know how many small businesses be able to handle that. I I couldn't. I couldn't absorb that. Um, in the construction side, yes. On the development side and the builder side, having somebody come in and, and pay them $20, $30 an hour, um, I just I don't know how I could do it. It just wouldn't work financially. Love to pay somebody that, but it's not in the cards right now. All right, guys, last but not least. This article, it caught my eye last night. Um, The 10 U.S. states with the most credit card debt. Um, It says Americans started 2021 with a nearly $900 billion in credit card debt, and the amount is projected to increase by $60 billion by the end of the year. Um, they're saying some states like Montana, Colorado, New Hampshire seem to be more prone to debt than others. Factors like unemployment, healthcare emergencies have also affected debt levels over the past couple of years. The top 10 states where individuals owe the most credit card balances, 
Number 10, New Hampshire. Median credit card debt is $2,111. Nebraska, $2,022. Oregon, $2,058. Washington, $2,236. Kansas, $2,186. North Dakota, $2,000. And I should preface this. They're saying they're using time until paid off as as a criteria also. So you saw some of these balances going up and down. It's the amount of days that it's paying off. So like North Dakota, I should say Kansas at number six, time to pay off is 13 months, 10 days. In North Dakota, it's 13 months and 13 days. Vermont, 1,850. Colorado, 2,576. Montana, 2,249. And Alaska is 2,839 with an average uh, time to pay off 15 months and eight days. And then they talk about the avalanche effect and the method, excuse me, and then snowball effect. Those two, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a personal preference, and they say the same thing. With the avalanche method, you pay as much as you can on the debt with the highest interest rate while making minimum payments on your other credit cards. This method will help you pay less interest over time and could shorten the amount of time it takes to get out of debt. However, this method requires a lot of discipline and commitment in order to streamline all your extra cash into one area of debt. With the snowball method, you pay off the smallest of debt amount first, regardless of interest rate, then move on to the second smallest and so on. While this method can prove to be more expensive, it's what you want to use when you need to motivate yourself with quicker results. Snowball effect is what got me out of of debt also, guys. I'm kind of, I'm kind of prone. I'm I'm not prone. I I like it. It works better for me. They also said, although the snowball method may be easier to implement, it may be also, excuse me, it may also take longer to become debt-free. It is, but if you stay disciplined, uh, the difference between the avalanche and the snowball also is within the avalanche, There's not a lot of focus on the four walls and making sure you have that emergency fund there so you're not outspending. And Snowball is going to look at the whole holistic picture budget-wise and making sure before you even start paying any debt off that you actually have at least a $1,000 emergency fund. So if that life moment happens, you have money set aside already. And I know it's tough when you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're on a lower income. It is tough, but it still can be done. It's this matter of discipline and how bad do you want it? And we can go, that's a whole nother topic we can go into. Guys, those were the four topics this week that I wanted to talk about. I will link them in the show notes. I hope you guys have a great day. Stay safe, stay healthy. Don't be afraid to communicate with others that have differing opinions. And just remember, we're all humans. And we do care about one another and be respectful of one another. Have a great day. I'll see you guys on the other side.